satisfactory tests. And we mentioned when we got this started, I'm sure there's a lot more than 10. Seems like I've faced a lot more than 10. But I didn't figure I could share with you any more than 10 and not discourage you. But if you, but if you want to go to the next level, if you want to go to the next, next place that God has for you, you, you graduate by passing tests, and he has tests. And I'm glad he has retakes, too. Because if you don't get it the first time, you'll get a chance to take the test again. And so we've just been moving through the life of Joseph here, talking about some things in his life. And we're to lesson number four, and we're just going to call this the purity test. And it's in Genesis 39, and if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and open it? It's good to bring your Bibles. On Wednesday night, we don't flash the verses on the screen because I really feel like on Wednesday night, you, you need to crack your Bible open and not rely on the screen. So did you bring your Bible tonight? I hope you did. If you didn't, there's no condemnation yet. But Genesis 39, verse 7, we've just been marching through his life here. Genesis 39 and 7. We read, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, meaning Potiphar's wife, cast longing eyes on Joseph. I'm looking in my margins here. It said she lifted up her eyes toward Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Now, now how many of you know she wasn't thinking about taking a nap? I mean, we understand that. It's like when Adam knew Eve and begat Cain. That was a different kind of knowing. So she said, come lie with me, verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as he spoke to Joseph day by day, that that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and he fled and ran outside. We're going to stop there and we will probably mention a couple other points along in that passage. But if you have your notes, we'll read along and then we'll make some comments as we go. As a culture, all of us know that we've been rocked by Sexual scandals at the highest levels of both our secular, civil, and unfortunately even church leadership. Um, I don't even have to go down the names of all the prominent people that we have watched uh, lose their destiny, uh, lose their influence, lose their leadership uh, because they did not pass the purity test. It is not uh, just a church thing. It is an everything. It, it, it hits the business world, the marketplace. Uh, it touches both political parties. No political party has a corner on scandal. They all share in having scandals. We know our president uh, several years ago was embroiled in a scandal that personally, from my vantage point, opened up uh, a box upon us as a nation, particularly our generation, who now know, they don't even know how to define sexual immorality anymore. I think I've told this story before, that years ago, um, working with young people and just ask, asking them questions about issues of sexuality and morality 
and come to find out that if, if, if they don't have sexual intercourse per se, they don't consider that ha- anything else you can do besides that. Is that's, that's the line. And so young people actually are walking up to lines uh, with, with oral sex, other aspects of sexuality, and if they do not have what we would consider conventional uh, sexual intercourse, intimacy, then somehow or another they've, they've not violated the commands or the mores of, of, of being true. How many of you know that's messed up? I mean, that's messed up big time. And uh, because our president didn't know how to define the word is, I, I just feel like that was unleashed upon us as a society. Unfortunately, here in South Carolina, our own governor had difficulty defining some of these things. And so we've watched it. It's been disappointing, discouraging, and it disqualifies us from a lot of what God would have for us. Uh, I put down here, the response to these sins has been everything from impeachment to ignore it. For some, they'll say, well, it's no one's business. I mean, it's their personal life. It's their personal business. We don't have any reason to even get involved in that. And for others, it reflects great inner flaws that disqualify from leadership. And I'll just tell you this, my, my feeling is if you can't keep your trust in the most sacred of relationships, why would I think you could keep your trust if you, if you got your hands on the money and the power and everything else? I think it's a reflection. That's why God even says in his word, before church leadership happens, he says, let a, let a man and, and, or a woman in, in the sense that she would have uh, uh, an ability to co-labor in the house as well, that you've got to exercise leadership within your household. If you can't rule in your own house, why, why would we throw you the keys to the house of God? That's what God says. If you're dysfunctional there, why in the world would we import your dysfunction? So these are all critical issues when it comes to your destiny because you've watched me teach this before, that that when you are raised up in whatever form of leadership it is, and and not just church leadership, you you know, I, I believe that dominion, a part of dominion, means influence. If we're to exercise dominion in the earth, then a part of the definition of dominion is influence. We're, we're what? The salt of the earth and the light of the world. And light exercises dominion over the darkness, and salt exercises dominion really over things that might uh, uh, spoil. It was a preservative. And, and so I believe that as, as we gain influence, and if you can imagine going up a mountain, or remember all of you that have been through school of ministry, school of leaders, as you go up to the top of the triangle... Uh, things narrow. Your choices in life begin to narrow. Leadership doesn't mean you have more choices. You literally have less choices. Because, because what you do will affect or have a rippling effect of those who look to you for some form of inspiration, influence, guidance, help, uh, or whatever it may be. A role model. I've been irritated on numerous occasions listening to athletes who get, pay, get paid a gajillion dollars to shoot basketballs or throw passes. And, and I know they're entertainers and they probably should get paid what they get paid because millions and millions of people watch what they do and we can have an argument over what that is worth. But it really aggravates me when they want to use their influence to sh- sell our kids shoes and golf equipment and shirts and we have to wear the right kind of stuff if we're going to go out and jog or whatever it is we're going to do. They don't mind using their influence to get your money out of your pocket, but when they get caught with their hand in a sexually immoral cookie jar, well, then they don't want to be a role model. But you see, you can't have it both ways. 
And you've got to understand that, that, that as God raises you up into destiny and as he gives you influence and whether it be in a ministry or whether he calls you to be a chief executive officer or run your own business and hire employees or whatever the case may be, that, that as you go up and, and as visibility increases, so does responsibility. And, uh, we've got to take care of, of the character issues and, I wrote here, there's no doubt that the scripture affirms sexual relationship in the marriage context. You know, sex is not a bad, is not a bad thing. God created it. I mean, it was his idea. And I'm married, and I'm happily married, been happily married for 28 years, and all I have to say is, thank God, hallelujah. I mean, I'm, he created it, I'm happy about it. So, so... That in and of itself is not evil or wrong, but he designed it within a boundary. And, and the problem is when we break out of boundaries. You know what else is funny is that whenever I talk about this topic, it doesn't matter whether it's encounter or if, if it happens to come up, everybody gets quiet. The amen stop. I just think that's really interesting. How you start talking about sex and it gets quiet. It's like everybody goes, he's talking about that. You know, if I talked about the glory of God, everybody would be going, oh, hallelujah, you preach it, pastor. I say sex, and they go, well, where else should it be talked about? Have mercy. It's being talked about at your office, in bathrooms. I mean, we've got third and fourth graders talking about it, and we don't want to hear it at church. Well, it's time we heard it at church. Because apparently, as I'm watching television, it's becoming a problem because it's not staying in its boundaries. So, I understand you talk about it and we still get the tee-hees. So just imagine it's dad talking, having the conversation with you right now that some of us didn't get. For all of Joseph's faults, the one part we can say about him is, is that he reacted fairly well to this test. The context of where he now finds himself is, is he was sold into slavery, he got sold to Potiphar, he's now working in Potiphar's house, as he's serving, you know, he's passing the serving test. He's being raised up and finding favor in the house of Potiphar. Well, now he's got influence. Potiphar's wife sees him. And by the way, when you get in influence, people see you. There's an attraction that comes. That ought not be either. But that's why politicians seem to fall so often. I mean, I, you know, maybe, I, I, well, I won't even say that because I'll offend somebody if I say that. Don't, aren't you glad that the Lord will still just... Stop me from saying anything and everything. So anyway, the wife takes notice of Joseph, and she apparently, I wrote down here, is, is a seductress. And I just wanted to write that not all sexual failures are the fault of the men. Now, men have their issues. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But, you know, women in this current culture, I'm just seeing, are pretty aggressive, it seems to me. And... uh and so anyway, Potiphar's wife is pretty aggressive here. She's trying to solicit Joseph's affections. And his response is really interesting. Number one is he recognizes, and he says it himself, he recognizes that this potential sin is great wickedness. That's what he calls it. He says, I can't do this great wickedness. Now, it's interesting because whenever, whenever sexual 
immorality comes around or whenever these issues come up, I've heard all kinds of things through the years. I've heard, well, it's natural and it's just what people are going to do. And you just, you, you know, pastor, just get over it. It's the 21st century. And whenever people go that direction, the, the, the instant image I think of in my mind is a dog who can't keep from jumping on whatever walks by. Because literally, if that's, if that's how we view it, then, then we're no better than the animals that do that. The other one is, well, you know, you got to have your needs met. You got to have this. You got to have that. Listen, this is great wickedness out of bounds. If it's out of bounds, great wickedness. Number two, he says it's a sin against God. Number three, it says that he refused to listen. And number four, he fled when it was challenged. Now, I just wrote down here because I started to think about this because, again, through the years, I've had people ask me and they've taught different things. And um, the question comes up, why is sexual sin any greater than any other sin? Because there are people who will say, you know, well, sin, sin, pastor. And whether, you know, you're sleeping around or whether you're gossiping or whether, you know, to be candid with you, you're just not being humble. Or, and, and, and for, you know, for those that want to minimize what they're doing, they always lump everything into sort of an, an equal category. Now, I wrote down here, there is theological accuracy in saying that one sin is no different than any other sin. However, the effects of certain sins are far greater than other sins. For instance, the sin of apathy does not have the same after effects as the sin of adultery. That's just the truth. The sin of sexual immorality seems to have greater weight in God's eyes. 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, verse 18. 618, in fact, just keep it open there, and we will mention a couple other verses. 1 Corinthians 618, it says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So he talks about sins here and how it affects in one area, but he says this particular sin actually has another aspect to it. And so it it seems to carry with it perhaps a greater weight. Why might sexual sin be of greater significance? Well, he says here, it's a sin against your own body and reflects a defilement against God's temple. It says here in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? Wow. For you were bought with a price Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so, literally, this is now the temple. God no longer dwells in temples made of human hands, but this is the temple of the Lord. And literally, he is inside of you. We've been talking about this now on Sunday. He's in there, and you have to understand that it's a, it's a sin, not only in the action, but there's a defilement against God's, God's temple. Number two, it's a breaking of trust on numerous levels. Um, The sexual union has to deal with, obviously, trust and intimacy and giving of oneself. And there is is a a betrayal that takes place when that is entered into outside, again, of the boundaries uh, that God has established. And you betray trust on numerous levels. You've obviously betrayed trust to your family, your trust in your marriage, your trust probably, and if, if... Again, if you're in ministry or, or leadership, you've betrayed other people's trust who may, may look to you. Um, there's, there's betrayal on so many levels. 
And, and I believe that's why it could be considered even a greater sin. Number three, marriage is a reflection of the union that exists between Christ and the church. In Ephesians 5, we're told that, that the marriage, your marriage and my marriage as Christian believers, literally is an ongoing testimony to the union that exists between Christ and his church. Uh, we've often heard this, that that he is the bridegroom and, and we're the bride. We've, we've heard these analogies made. And, and so our marriage and our fidelity in this marriage really represents the fidelity that Christ has with regards to his people and his church. And so, and so you know, we're, we're, we're testifying by our very union as to how God works with his church. And for us to violate that really gives a poor testimony of, of how the Lord looks at us as a people. Number four, it says people involved in sexual immorality, the scripture says, are to be avoided in the church. Now, it's amazing to me. Some of these things never get taught. And, and again, I don't know that, you know, I'd pull it out on a Sunday morning. I guess if I was there, I'd probably do it. But here, as we're talking about these tests, we find just some interesting things that don't get read on occasion. And it says, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, it says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Wow. Well, that might trim down our Facebook, won't it? I'm going I'm to untangle some of this. Yet, I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous, extortioners, idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. Wow or covetous, or an idolater, reveler, or drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For he says, what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? You have to understand, they're all pointing their finger. That's a part of what he's dealing with here. They're all pointing their finger going, look at the world, bad, 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 bad. Look at, look at Bill Clinton, look at Governor Sanford. You know, look at this guy, look at that guy. And Paul's saying, hey, I've been to your church, look at who you're sitting next to. That's what he's doing. He says, don't, don't do that before you judge the house of God. He says, those who are outside God judges, therefore put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, a lot of people have taken this to be in incredibly alienating. In fact, you would read that and you would say, have mercy. How would you reach anybody? You'd alienate people. You'd, you'd, you'd drive them away. If I could have read to you the earlier passages here, especially verses 6 and 7, Paul begins to talk about the leavening effect that people can have in the life of a body. And, and this is kind of the way I have always kind of handled it. We've tried to handle it. We've tried to be gracious and kind and, and walk with people and teach people and guide people and lead people. Even when we knew things were out of order, we've, we've really done our, our, our dead level best to obey these passages. And we've often discussed at what point do you move in and you deal with somebody, and I call it the leavening effect. There comes a moment when a person can participate in the life of a body and they're of no leavening effect. What that means is, is that their life, their influence, their visibility, it, it really doesn't affect anybody. People may know what's going on, but it's not like it, it is, it's affecting them. But there can come a point if they, if they participate in body life that they begin to leaven the body, which means it, 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 it almost becomes acceptable it becomes almost enculturized, if that's even a word, to accept that behavior without it being addressed. 
Now, again, I'll just tell you right up front. I've known people that have been in living arrangements and other things, and, and we let it go for a long time. And then when I feel like a leavening effect is starting to happen, or if, if God's being grieved and he speaks to me, he says, you know, you need to just shepherd this and step into this, and we have done that at times. I've had people who've looked at me and said, appreciate that, Pastor, we know, and all the rest. And they've literally, they've literally said, but we still love church and we still want to be here. It's not scripture, but it's true. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And so at that point, I can at least stand before God and say, Lord, I've I've done what you told Ezekiel to do. I've spoke the truth. I mean, eye to eye, man to man, we've done this, and that blood's not on my hands anymore. And, and, And so you've got to understand the leavening effect. Listen to me right now. We're to reach the world, amen? We're to reach into people who are dysfunctional at more levels than we can count. And some of them are practicing immoralities and other things. And we still have to reach them. But here's the deal. Use the leavening quotient. The minute you are no longer the influencer over them, but you sense them becoming an influencer over you, that's the moment you've got to cut it off. Are you following me? People have often asked me, they said, how can... How can, you know, they want to get saved one week and then go out and win the world. And I appreciate their zeal. But if you just got saved out of the bar scene and alcoholism and drug abuse, I just, I don't know that I'd go hang around your drug dealer and the bar scene until you got solid in Jesus. Then maybe he might send you back to that where they will no longer be an effect to drag you back into it, but that you'll continue to be the effect to drag them out of it. Are you following me? All right. Sexual sin always produces, number five, a deception of greater magnitude than other sins. I've seen this over and over and over again. As soon as it happens, there's a deception that floods in in people, and they just can't hear straight, think straight, make a decision straight. The Scripture tells us that that if if we have uh, uh, a sexually immoral liaison, he said in that same chapter that, uh, that he who has sex with a harlot becomes one spirit with her. I mean, literally, there's a joining that takes place in that union. And what happens is, is it fractures your soul to where your soul or your processing center is messed up. And so you're not thinking right. You're not, you're, you're, your feelings are messed up. And they're out of order or they're directed in a wrong direction. And because your mind's messed up and your feelings are messed up, it causes you to make wrong decisions. And I have watched primarily men who have entered into an affair and and this deception is unleashed. They will lose it all to chase the skirt. And you're looking and everybody, I'm telling you, everybody can look at their heathen neighbor looks at it and says, what are you doing? And they can't see it. Why can't they see it? It's because their whole processing center is messed up. And, and literally, the lie has become truth. That's what it says in Romans 1. They exchange the truth for a lie to where suddenly the lie says, this is right. It suddenly becomes, this is, well, this must be God. I probably missed it on the first one, so this one must be God. I mean, you'll hear them do anything and everything. And so, and so it always produces greater deception. Now, to pass this test, and, and really it, it, it's relatively simple, but I wanted to take just a moment because I just felt it was important as I was just thinking about all of this area. And I knew all of you would be quiet. 
and I would be here all by my lonesome. And it's not with the guys at an encounter meeting. But I, I just I want the women to hear a couple things, and I want the guys again to hear some things, and maybe sometimes we'll lose trace on the guys, and they can hear some things from a woman's perspective. I'm going to tell you some things you know and some things you may not know. Number one is, and, and you know what? I've got things just like you've got some things that we all say to ourselves. We're going to visit with the Lord about these things. I, here, I, I, my, my, my thinking on that, though, is this, that when we see him face to face, I, I got a feeling all those questions will probably fade away and we won't ask him anything. But right now, if I were making a list, there were a couple things I would put on the list that I would want to ask him. And that is, why are we wired like we're wired? I know we've been corrupted through the carnal nature. I know we've been corrupted uh, because of the, the effects of sin through the centuries. But let me just share a couple of things, and hopefully it can begin to help all of us, and, and we can begin to tend to one another appropriately. Men tend to be, not, again, I'm just generalizing, may not be every man, but most men tend to be visually solicited. What I mean by this is, is that, is that men's button that turns them on usually comes through the eye gate. Um, that is why probably 95% of the pornography industry is directed at men. Because even the heathen know that, that if, if they can solicit through the eye gate, they can begin to draw men into that. Women, on the other hand, tend to be, and again, this isn't everyone, but they tend to be what I call auditory and susceptible to seduction through words and touch. So I always tell the men, when we're like at an encounter, I always look at the men and say, you know, my wife's across there talking to the ladies talking to the ladies about everything they need to be doing and helping us out, and she's doing her part. But I'm going to tell you guys something, and that is is that while women should be careful about how they dress and how they present themselves because men are susceptible through the eye gate to be solicited by that, we've got to watch what we speak and how we say it and not defraud or to flatter in fact, the Bible word for defrauding actually means to solicit someone's affections to a place that cannot be righteously fulfilled. And, and so we all have our, 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 gender, uh, our, our, our gender buttons that can be pushed in order to uh, solicit us in a direction that is not God's will. Now, it's very important that both genders understand and assist each other in staying sexually pure. Now, guys, I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to deal with everybody for just a minute. Ladies, I, I'm sorry it lands on you so much of the time. But, ladies, that's why you need to think about how you present yourself. I've said this before. When you come to the house of God, it is the house of God. This, this is not Folly Beach. Now, I've had people come to me and say, you're being a legalist. No, I'm not, because I, I grew up in legalism. If it was legalism, I'd tell you to take your earrings off, wipe your makeup off, get those open-toed shoes off. You don't wear slacks in this place. Get your hair in a bun, and then you'd be holy. Don't tell me I'm a legalist. I know legalism. I mean, if open-toed shoes were it. Now we got open blouses. I mean, it's just... Are you hearing me, ladies? I mean, you gotta help us. And, and, and that's your responsibility. Now, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not running around being the 
sheriff all the time, but every now and then we just talk about it, don't we? So Wednesday night, we talk about it. Help your daughters, help your sons, train them, teach them. I've tried to keep my boys pure, but it was real hard with some daughters of uh, other people. I mean, it was hard. No joke. I mean, nobody, nobody wants their daughter violated. Well, you know, if you have boys, you don't want your sons violated. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not looking to codify this. I'm looking to sensitize us to this. We live in the most sexually charged atmosphere that has probably ever existed. And we've got to understand. Ladies, I'm going to share something with you that hopefully will be a great word picture. So bear with me for just a minute. I know because uh, we've been married 28 years that, that I will never be a part, nor will any man ever be a part of having, having a baby club. Isn't that true? Ladies, you get, you get in your circle and you talk about your having baby stories and we just are like, we can't identify. In fact, the moment we try to identify, oh, I can tell you, don't you even go there. You don't even know what it's like to have this child. It wouldn't, it wouldn't matter if we would have lost both our legs and, and, and they were amputated by just giving us, you know, a Tylenol PM and we had our legs cut off. And we'd look and say, oh, it, I had my legs cut off. The answer would be, it still isn't like having a baby. Isn't that true? No man. I mean, it's the club that us men will never get in. We will never know labor. We will never know what that feels like. And, and I'll just say, I give. You had a baby. You get the trophy. And I will never in my wildest imaginations understand that. Can I also say, I don't know that I'll ever understand that monthly cycle and the hormone deal either. I mean, ladies understand. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just bearing my soul and saying, I don't, I'm never going to get that. I, I, you know, I, I, you know, and isn't, doesn't it drive you ladies crazy if a guy were to look at you, like whether it's menopause or your cycle time and a man were to look at you and just say, come on, buck up and get over it. You'd, you'd be in the kitchen with a knife. Saying you have no, I know. I mean, I, I mean, I love my wife. I love my wife with all of my heart, but I've lived 28 years with her. And I know, I know that there are just some things you just don't go there. You say, yes, dear, I know I will never understand that. And it's true. It is, I'm not just making fun of it. It's true. It is literally true. And it is, and I've learned it took a while. I, we, we had some arguments, but I finally learned. I'm not, I'm not fast, but I'll get there eventually. That when, 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 when those things that happen that are unique to a woman that a guy can't identify with, I just need to just, and just, yes, dear, and you're right. I don't understand. I, I'm sorry it's happening. I love you, and no, I don't understand. What can I buy you? Yeah. Now listen to me, ladies. Now, here's the, the reason I tell you this story is because I'm going to use that word illustration. I'm going to make a little switch here. Ladies will never understand the drive in a man that needs sexual fulfillment. Now, 
I'm, I'm talking in a marriage relationship because we've counseled couples all through the years and they'll go, you know, and people come and they'll talk to us about this area and we'll do our, I mean, we're not like sex therapists or anything like that, but you know, people talk to us about this area and I've, and I've listened through the years and sometimes the wives will go, Oh, he's just, that's all that's on his mind. That's all he thinks about. He just needs to get over it. It's just, it's just dirty or nasty or he's crazy. He say he's a maniac. Yeah. Yeah. And like, hear me just to look at a man and say, just, just quit that is like looking at a woman and say, just quit that during your period. You can't just quit that. You don't know how badly some men are going, take it out of me. I'll get, I'll get a brain surgery. Just take it out of me. It, it is, it is a, a biological fact. And I'm telling, I know ladies, you can, you can walk out here and go, I just don't believe it. Well, that would be the same as me walking or another guy walking out saying, I don't believe you go on a roller coaster ride once a month. You'd look at us and say, you have no idea. I'm telling you, you have no idea. Now here's, there, there is good news in, in a man's life. As, as, when he's a young man, these things are just incredibly pressure-filled. As, as he gets older, these things can kind of find a balance to it, which, you know, I'm 50 years old, and all I can say is praise God for 50. I'm just, I'm, it's, just it's a wonderful time in my life where there's just an incredible sense of victory and happiness and satisfaction, and I'm just glad for that. And, and it's one of the things I've looked forward to. The fruit of the years that we've invested in our relationship, are, 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 it's just bearing much fruit, and there's no better time of my life. But I'm just telling you, from a guy's standpoint, ladies, you just can't, you just can't, you can't dress like this, uh, this voluptuous woman and look at guys and say, if you were godly, it wouldn't affect you. I'm sorry, he's godly. And he's trying to find some place to get his eyes. I mean, it's been terrible. And this is no joke. There have been times in, in church life, I couldn't look at the person who came down for communion. Because you're just going, take it. I, I know it's funny, but it's kind of not funny. It's sad. It is. I know, and, and, and I know why we. It's like, can you believe that? And and I understand. There's some that are never going to get it. But I'm talking to the ones on Wednesday night that your heart is after God. You're wanting to pass your test. You're wanting to keep your focus. You're wanting your marriage to be good. You're wanting to find a man of God. You're wanting things to be in order. And I, I'm telling you, this is a test in our current age and culture. We have got to determine to pass. Do you understand? If you, if you can just get married and get a few decades under your belt, you're like, you should get a trophy. Really? And so just to understand that there's, there's a lot of electricity and stuff that exists between us as human beings and we need to recognize that. I'm telling the guys, you need to recognize it. And so here's some keys. Let me give you some quick keys to passing the test and we'll be done. Remember that impurity starts in the eyes and not in the heart. I've listened to guys say, well, that doesn't affect me. Then you're a liar. Or I'll just say it. You ought to move to San Francisco. (laughs) 
Because I'm just telling you, I, I, this, it just doesn't work that way. I understand there are some that have better handle on this area. Praise God that, that you have developed a discipline and a fortitude to have a great handle in this area. But Jesus said, Matthew 5, 27, he said, you heard it said, you had heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He just raised the standard. You, you, and I'm telling you guys, you just can't say, well, I've never been unfaithful. Well, I, I'm glad that that has never happened. But Jesus is saying, you gotta, you gotta control the eye gate. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So impurity, understand impurity starts really with the eyes. In the book of Job, there's a great passage there. Uh, we've mentioned it on occasion. I always mention it to the guys in Job 31.1. This is what it says here. It says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? What that means is, is that me and my eyes have this deal. And that is, you know, it doesn't matter where you are, where you're walking or what's going on that things can be popped up in front of you before you even know it. You weren't, you weren't looking for it. You, you weren't going that direction. But we all know things can just pop up just like that before you know it. And the covenant with my eyes is this, that when that pops up and I recognize that my covenant is this with my eyes, I tell my eyes, look another direction. You, this, is, this, is, this is revelation. You can control your eyes. Isn't that amazing? You can. And just make a commitment, a covenant with your eyes. That, that you know what, what, what I'm not, you, like you said, you can't stop everything from popping up in front of you. There's no way that'll happen in the world we live in. But the minute it pops up, you shift your eyes. If you're channel surfing, the minute it pops up, you don't, you don't sit there and go, mm, nah. Oh, let me check on that one more time. No, no, not a good thing. You, you covenant with your eyes. Keep your eyes where they belong. I'm talking about passing the test here. Psalm 101, verse 3. Psalm 101, I'm racing there. Verse 3. It says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. There, that, Psalm 101, verse 3, there's the internet verse right there. Are you following me? I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. And then finally, letter D, get the revelation that whatever goes in through your eyes will eventually control your heart. Whatever goes through your eyes will eventually control your heart. Matthew 6, 22. It says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Did you hear that? If your eyes are on what is good, your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Too many of God's servants have forfeited their future for a 15-minute rendezvous. Why would you forfeit? Why would you forfeit his blessing, his promise, the land that he has for you? Why would you forfeit all of those things just for 15 minutes of the flesh? 
You need to begin to determine now that you will pass the test when the moment confronts you. Passing the test isn't waiting until it happens and then it gets you. It, it's committing right now in the, in the purity of this moment. Listen to me. We're in the house of God. We're hearing the word of God. Our, our minds and our hearts and our eyes are towards the Lord. In the purity of this moment, you make the decision. I'm, go, I'm going to pass this test. I'm going to help my family pass this test. I'm going to help my children pass this test. I'm going to help because there'll be nothing that will, that will kill the family tree quicker than when people fail at this particular test. Last story and I'm done. I was talking to a pastor today on the phone. I was in that traffic jam this morning. I don't know if any of you were on the interstate coming east. I was coming east after dropping Kalen off at school. And uh, there was a, 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 a car accident, and it shut down all three lanes, and it was a parking lot for an hour and a half on I-26. And I was in the left lane, which means I couldn't even get to an exit. I was between exits anyway, and I couldn't get to an exit, and we were at a dead standstill. And, it, I, you know, I'm a guy, and I just, you know, you get agitated. I don't, there's nothing you can do about it, but you're just sitting there getting agitated, and your mind's going, should I go down this road or, you know. So I just sat there. But in order to, to deal with a little time, I was calling up some pastor friends and just doing some work on the phone while I was sitting there. And um, I called one of my pastor friends up, and I was asking him about a story that he had told me, and it was basically a follow-up story to it. When you think you've heard it all, you'll hear something over the top. No joke. He had to sit down with a man and a wife who was working with their young people. Listen to this. This is incredible. And he found out, listen, that they were Christian nudists. Now, I'm not, you think, you think it's a joke. This is no joke. Christian nudists. The, the wild thing was that as he's talking to these, because once he found out, he had to pull them out of the youth department and out of the kids department, obviously. The, they, number one is they didn't understand why. Number two is they thought that he was out to lunch. And number three is there's a whole movement of Christian nudists. I thought to my, I'm listening to this on the phone and I'm going... You've got to be kidding me. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I have some wild stories, but Christian nudists just trumped all of my stories right there. It just trumped it. Listen, listen to me, though. But they've reached the place where they said, I can do this and still be Christian. I'm just telling you, no, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. There is a great deception that's been loosed in the earth, and a part of it is in this area. And so I wish I had another couple of hours to entertain you with all these stories. But I'll just, I'll just leave you with that, and then we'll be done with it. But, folks, let me just tell you, it, that, that is sad, and it is tragic, and it is happening today in the church. And I'm telling you, you and I have now got to be ever more vigilant in keeping ourselves pure. The character issue is the issue. Amen? Let's stand and I'll cut you loose.
I don't know if we ought to put this one on iTunes or not, Craig. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we're going to post this one or not. Lord, I'm I'm just I'm I'm heartbroken really. That there would be such deception loosed in the earth that we could not tell right from wrong. We could not tell light from darkness. In fact, we would actually call evil good. That we would question a man of God when we're, we ourselves are, are walking in great deception. Lord, I pray right now that you would loose every bond of deception that would even have a thread of possibility of ensnaring us. Lord, I pray now truth would come. The scripture tells us that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. Lord, we want to be free. We want to be, we want to be people who are whole. We want to be people who are credible. We want to be people who others could look to and say, you know what, if it doesn't work in anyone else's life, I can see it's working in their life. And Lord, this is one of those areas that as hard as it is to, to, to teach and to talk about and to present in a way that, that can be received. Lord, I pray right now that every person under the sound of my voice would right now at this very moment begin to make their commitments to purity, that they would make a covenant with their eyes. And Lord, we realize it's not just men who have eye issues, but, but I, I know women have eye issues as well. We all have to make covenants with our eyes. We can appreciate the beauty that exists in God's creation, but Lord, we know when that line's getting crossed. So, Lord, cause us to be sensitive to your spirit. Cause us to do as Joseph did and flee. To flee from the very appearance of this stuff. Lord, we appreciate all that you've done in our lives. We appreciate the cross that has cleansed us from our past, from every guilt and condemnation that we've carried because of the years of wrong decisions. But we're glad today that because of the blood and the cross... We are, we are clean before you, and we can walk empowered and victoriously from this point forward. Lord, enable us to do that. Lord, it's just another one of those tests. All of us are going to be challenged. Lord, we commit right now we're going to pass this test. However, whenever, we will pass because of you working in us. Lord, bless your people right now. Give them a good testimony wherever they may be. Lord, use them. I believe you're raising them up into great places of influence. Lord, let their character be able to sustain the place that you give them. And Lord, I thank you that you're going to give us a congregation just like that. So Lord, we honor you with our bodies. We honor you with our mouths. We honor you with our eyes. We honor you with every aspect of our life. And Lord, we dismiss tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. So God bless you. We're all brothers and sisters, right? And when you're in a family, you treat your brothers and your sisters appropriately and right. So greet one another and you can hug next and shake hands and God bless you. We'll see you on the Lord's day.